Okay, the parsha the parsha is Yisro. Yisro, you'd always say the parsha Yisro always say the same thing. It's remarkable, not the same short anecdote to start with. Uh, it's remarkable that the parish is called Yisro. It was the parish of Matan Torah. So the parish should have been called Moshe. It's now it, Matan Torah. Though it's true that the parishes are named after a word that appears very early in the first Pasuk. Right, you know that? Yeah. Like Breshit Barayla Kibbutzai Badar, it's called Breshit. Yishav Yishma. No, well, I guess. <laughs> but in any event, the point that I make when I do this is I say that the sixth word in the pasuk or the seventh word in the pasuk is Moshe. And so all you had to do was change the words around a little bit and put Moshe a little bit further up, and then the parsha of Matan Torah would be called Moshe, which it seems to me is a much more uh, just kind of way of dealing with Moshe Rabbeinu. But it's called Payitra. So that's the first thing that sets you uh, going. Like, not only do we want to know who Yitro was, but we want to know actually why he was so important. Important enough to be named uh, uh, like, you know, if you're of Lithuanian inclination, you would say, well, it's an irrelevancy. You know, like, it just happened. Okay, I would forgive anybody who said that, but you can't make much of a sheer out of an irrelevancy. So I prefer the other uh, position. So the first pasuk says, Vayishma Yishro Klehen Medjan, Chotein Moshe, Kol Asher Asa Elohim, LeMoshe Uli Yisrael, Amoki Yotzi Hashem Et Yisrael Mimitzrayim. Vayishma Yitro. Right, the word Vayishma means literally to hear, but also generally means to understand. Right, to hear, to understand, they're related to each other. Right, what's the point of hearing if you don't understand what is, what is going on? Rashi says, Vayishma Yitro, Mashmu Ashama Obar. I don't have to tell you this all comes from the Midrash. It all comes from the Midrash. Mashmu Ashama Obar. What was it that he heard? It says Vayishma Yitro, but there's no object in the in the first pasuk, right? Vayishma Yitro et. What did he hear? So Rashi helps us out, and he says Kriyat Yamsuf Umilchemet Amalek in that order. First there was Kriyat Yamsuf, and then there was Milchemet Amalek in the end of the parasha, the middle and the end of the parasha of Bishalach. Now it's curious that the Medrash and Rashi don't say that Yidro heard about Yitziat Mitzrayim. I mean, and it seems also that the reason for that, the reason that they don't say that he heard about Yitziat Mitzrayim is if you just skip uh, to Pasuk uh, Vav, Vayome Vav, Vayome El Moshe, when, when Yidro comes and he greets Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, "Ani chotencha yitro ba'elecha, v'ishlecha u'shnei banecha imah." And I am Yitro, your father-in-law. Here is your wife. Here are your sons, right? And then he he goes on in pasuk chet. The conversation develops, and vayisaper Moshe lechotno, vayisaper Moshe lechotno. 
Pasuk Chet, you see that Pasuk? That at Kol Asher Asa Hashem Leparo Ulamitzrayim. Everything that God did to Paro and to Mitzrayim. Which seems to imply that Yitro didn't know about it. In other words, remember, Vayishma Yitro, Vayishma Yitro, the first Pasuk says, and Rashi asks, what did he hear? And he answers, Kriyat Yamsuf Mulchemet Amalek. And what we asked was, what happened to Yitziat Mitzrayim? How come he didn't hear about Yitziat Mitzrayim? But even if we, the Pasuk doesn't say that he heard about Yitziat Mitzrayim, you would think that that was what he heard about. But we see later on in Pasuk Chet that when Moshe Rabbeinu starts telling him things, he starts by telling him, Kol Hashem Leparo Mitzrayim. Alodot Yisrael, about Yisrael, Kol so Moshe Rabbeinu had to tell Yitro about Yitziat Mitzrayim, uh, which sort, sort of indicates perhaps that Yitro didn't know about Yitziat Mitzrayim. So that explains to us what the Rashi said. Now we just have to ask ourselves, how is that possible? That Yitro knew about Milchemet Amalek and Kriyat Yamsuk, but he didn't know about Yitziat Mitzrayim. That seems really, really odd. Right? So Rashi doesn't answer that question. Rashi doesn't, but you could answer it. You could think or, or, or think yourself through to an answer. And that answer might be that, uh, that Kriyat Yamsuf, Kriyat Yamsuf was obviously the greatest individual miracle that ever happened. I know that because that's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that Kriyat Yamsuf was special. It was so different and so much against nature and so unreasonable that there was no way that a person could avoid connecting Kriyat Yamsuf to Hashem. Right? It couldn't, just couldn't happen. Even though the Rabban himself generally is not such a big fan of miracles, he doesn't think that miracles prove anything very much, the Rabban. So, because uh, as we see, I say again and again, I say this every week when we learn Shemot, that they were Khartumim in Mitzrayim. They were magicians. And once there are magicians who do things that are similar to what Moshe Rabbeinu does, it doesn't really matter if the Khartumim run out of steam, if they suddenly are unable to imitate Moshe Rabbeinu, because Paro and the Egyptians can always say, well, there must be some other mir- uh, magician someplace else. So we, don't, we may not know him, but we know that he exists, that this idea existed until the time, at least until the time of Bilam, right? When Balak sent to Bilam to say, well, there's got to be a prophet who could affect God, who could sort of like turn God into a hater of Am Yisrael, like a strange idea. But this, uh, this notion that there were magicians that had power and that that power might be equal to the power of Moshe Rabbeinu, that notion, that notion was very long-lived because after all, Bilam and Balak were the end of the sojourn in the desert, the end of the 40 years after Yitzhak tribe, And there were still kings who didn't believe that Moshe Rabbeinu had ultimate power through HaKadosh Baruch this was a 
This was an ongoing issue. This was an ongoing issue. So what did Par- what did Yitro hear about? He heard about those miracles which no one could deny were absolutely remarkable. And those miracles were Kriyat Yamsuf and Milchemet uh, Amalek. And, uh, uh, and then Moshe Rabbeinu had to educate Paro. I had to educate Yitro. I'm losing it, but I hope I'll make it till the end of this year. He had to educate Yitro. And he said to Yitro, listen, I know you don't see it, but you should know Yitziat Mitzrayim was really a great event. Even in your terms, in the terms that you think about, you, Yitro, Yitziat Mitzrayim was a great event. So when Rashi says, what was it that he heard? He heard about all, everything. He heard about everybody. He didn't understand Yitziat Mitzrayim. He did understand Kriyat Yamsuf Umilchemet Amalek. He knew that was really something special. But you know that to make frogs jump around the country, that could be really annoying. But it doesn't sort of indicate ultimate power. It's true that some of the Makot are more uh, in the line of ultimate power than others, but generally speaking, the proof of the pudding is that, that the Egyptian doubt ended after Kriyat Yamsuf. They were no longer able to muster up an army against the Jews. Uh, Yamsuf was the end. But even after Makat Becharot, even after the firstborn were died in Mitzrayim, and Mitzrayim could have attributed to some sort of a plague, but it doesn't matter. They were able to muster up an army to chase after Am Yisrael, and to kind of chase them into the riverbed of, of, the, of Yamsuf, where they finally found uh, their death. And that was the end. That was the end of the Egyptians. <coughs> and it's true that even though historically these two points are not connected to each other, but it is true that as a result, the Egyptians ended. They just disappeared from the world. There were no Egyptians in the world today. Just as there are no Babylonians and there are no Persian, well, Persians maybe there are. There are no Babylonians and there are no Egyptians. Right? They they kind of just uh, disappeared. Maybe there are no Greeks either. Uh, I'm not sure about that. That's like an argumentative. You know, we could fight about that if we were so inclined. Okay. So the first thing we know about Yitro is that he didn't know about Yitziat Mitzrayim until Moshe Rabbeinu taught him about Yitziat Mitzrayim, so that it would seem that Yitro is differentiated or it's different than the Egyptians. The Egyptians were unteachable. They didn't get it. They didn't get it at herself until the very end when they all died. They didn't get what was going on. Yitro apparently did get it because as a result, as a result, Vayichad Yisro Pasuk Tet, Pasuk Tet, Vayichad Vayichad Yisro. You know, that's that, uh, like a final da- a dalit at the end of a word with a, with a dot in it, which happens sometimes. It's a halacha, right? There's a halacha in the Shukhanara. The halacha in the Shukhanara, because we're in Gemara, but it's a halacha. That when you say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, you're obliged 
to lengthen the last Dalit, which means to emphasize it. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, because uh, it's easy to mix up the Dalit and the Resh, graphically. They look the same, so somebody might look at it and think it says a resh at the end. And that would be not so good because that would, the word would be acher, a different God. So the halacha was onto that and said that what you should do is differentiate clearly by lengthening the dalit because you can't lengthen a resh. Isn't it also about, uh, you're supposed to focus on the what? Aren't you supposed to focus at that time on six according to Sefer Brachot, something about Aren't you supposed to? Focus on the six directions of Hashem for... I mean, maybe... Up and down. Maybe, but I'm talking, about, I'm talking about something. I'm talking about yeah. what it sounds like. You're right, not allowed to... You're supposed to extend it out because of that. No, you're supposed to extend it out because it shouldn't be, you shouldn't mistake it for a race. Now, the, the, the only problem is... Our problem is that we can't do that. Because it's an explosive sound. What? It's an explosive sound. Plosive, they say. The, the linguists, they yeah. like the... But you could say what you say, I mean, as far as I'm concerned. It's a, it's a plosive, like a b, a d. So you can't lengthen it. You can't lengthen a b, and you can't lengthen a d. But you can lengthen a z, that you can lengthen. So there is such a sound apparently in Hebrew, or there was such a sound which became a halacha. And even though we don't say that anymore in the Hebrew that we speak, maybe you should say it when you daven. I don't know what you should do, what you shouldn't do, but I'm just saying it's, a, it's an existing halachic matter that you should lengthen the dalit, and you can't lengthen the dalit as far as I can tell, unless you see it as a plosive. Now, this statement, this pasuk, which gets us, brings us back to the sheyur, vayichad yitro, al kol hatova. So the word vayichad is like the word chedva, even though not exactly like it, but it's something about nice and pleasant and happy, so Yitro was happy. What was he happy about? He was happy. So Yitro was happy. Why was Yitro happy? Because the Jews were saved by Kodesh Boko. How did Yitro know what was going on that God, uh, that, the, that God saved the Jews? Because Moshe Rabbeinu told him. Moshe Rabbeinu told him. So what's Al Kol HaTova? What is like he said? Look, I know about Skriat uh, Yamsuf, and I know about Belchemet Amalek. But wow, now I know about Yitziat Mitzrayim. I really know because when Moshe Rabbeinu explained it to me, he explained to me what the real issue was and what Yitziat Mitzrayim was supposed to accomplish, and what Bnei Yisrael, how they were able to elevate themselves into a position where they were worthy of Yitziat Mitzrayim. So this is what Moshe Rabbeinu explained to him which the Egyptians were never able to understand. I mean, that's, so that, that Yitro all of a sudden represents the rest of the entire world. The rest of the entire world is represented by Yitro. And the rest of the, I mean, the, the, again, the Ramban at the end of the Pasha of Bo says that the miracles in Mitzrayim, the, 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 the events that took place in Mitzrayim had as a secondary purpose 
the need to educate the Egyptians because they were also expected ultimately to understand that there is only one God and God controls the world that was created. There was some kind of educational process which it seemed failed. Vayishma Yitro, it didn't fail entirely. It just failed with the Egyptians. But Yitro, representing the rest of the world, said, I want to be part of this. I want to join up with this. I want to be part of what's going on with B'nai Israel. And then Moshe Rabbeinu sat down and taught him. Right, taught him. It's his father-in-law. He taught him, like, like, you know, difficult to imagine good relationships with your father-in-law. But here's Moshe Rabbeinu sitting and teaching Yitro what was really happening. And Yitro, as you know, was not Jewish. He was not a Jew. Chachamim, the Rashi quotes the Chachamim say that Yitro was knowledgeable in every idolatry imaginable. So that, you know, so what does that mean? It means he like, went to college for a long time. It means that he represented the rest of the world. He represented the rest of the world and he joined, he joined the Jewish people for the receiving of the Torah. That's who Yitro was. That's who Yitro was. This brings us a little closer to understanding why the parish is called Yitro. Why the parish is called Yitro. So now I want to tell you about that word, Vayichad. You see that word, Vayichad? Pasuk, uh, Pasuk, Tet, Pasuk Tet, Vayichad Yitro. So if you look at the Rashi, Vayichad Yitro, it's a very famous Rashi. Vayismach Yitro. So what is Vayismach? Like, like the world, it's going the way it should go. Yitro, Yitro was there. He had kind of tried all the different idolatries. Somehow they didn't quite make sense to him. He didn't have the native ability of Avram Avinu who could rise above the mistakes of the world in its entirety and, and devise a new way of thinking about things. That was Avram Avinu. But Yitro did have the capacity to understand it when Moshe Rabbeinu explained it to him. That was something that he was able to understand. So you say, Vayichad Yisro. Vayichad, he was happy. Vayismach Yitro, Zehuk Shuto, meaning I mean, that's the obvious meaning, the regular meaning. My wife, but when Raji says, he always going to give a different interpretation. Now, why do you need a different interpretation? But let's see what it is. What this different interpretation is, medrasho. Medrasho <coughs> means, uh, well, it's in the medrash, but it's not pshat. That's what medrasho means. Whatever your definition of pshat is, whatever it is, you know that, that, that the pshat is a variable idea, whereas drash is a permanent idea. It's sort of exactly the opposite of what you might think. Pshat is variable because in any, every generation people think a little bit differently about the same things, which is why uh, uh, you could have a 20th century or 21st century production of Shakespeare that doesn't look like what you think Shakespeare is supposed to look like or what it looked like you know, hundreds of years ago because uh, people speak differently so if you want so you have two options you could try to recover the Shakespeare of old or you could try to restate it 
in a, in a new form. So uh, uh, pshat is what changes all the time. The Rashbam said, the Rashbam in the beginning of the parish of Ayeshev, the Rashbam in the beginning of the parish of Ayeshev says, I asked my grandfather, Rashi, if I was worthy of writing, I mean, I wanted to write a little perush, I mean, whatever that meant, whatever the story behind the story is, that's all he says. He says, I asked my grandfather to write a perush, and then he said he wanted to give a reason for writing a perush, like, what's wrong with Rashi? He said, in accordance with the pshat interpretations that are renewed daily. Right? So maybe it's not daily, maybe it's weekly, but the idea is that pshat keeps changing. That pshat keeps changing. Why people usually think that pshat is a kind of a, a fixed, a fixed thing, but it, it really isn't. On the other hand, the medrash, the medrash is what Chachamim said it means. That's, that doesn't ever change. That because, because that has a certain kind of authority that the pshat doesn't have. Pshat is something that I think. And that could be kind of re... Uh, 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 you, you know, sent into the, into the compost uh, every, every day of the year. So Rashi says, Rashi says again, what is, what is Medrashon? Naseh b'saro chidudim chidudim. Chidudim, chidudim. So, uh, so I don't know, I mean, I think I know what chidudim, I mean, well, I always thought chidudim was. So I looked it up. I looked it up in the art school Rashi, which happens to be very good. It's a, it's a sign of old age that I have to say nice things about art school. But it's very good. It's very good. Uh, so they said, they said, chidudim are goosebumps. So I know what goosebumps are. But I didn't know why they call them goosebumps. <laughs> why aren't they, you know, whale bumps or uh, chicken bumps or something like that. So apparently, so according to Wikipedia, which is the source of all knowledge today, if you pull the feathers out of the geese, you end up with like little bumps where the feathers were put in. So those are goosebumps. Also with chickens. What? Also with chickens. Yeah. Also with chickens? Yeah, all birds have oh. that. So why not chicken bumps? Then? Yeah, so why are they called goosebumps? Probably came from French. I guess the literate. <laughs> Any, in any event, so what does that got to do with, with what we're talking about? So, uh, so Rashi says, chidudim, uh, chidudim. So that's usually something that happens to you when you're frightened or you're uncomfortable, right? That's something, chidudim, chidudim. They're goosebumps, so it's sort of like negative. It's like a negative statement. So Rashi continues and says, Meitzar al ibud mitzray. The fact that the the Egypt was law, lost caused him Yitro to feel sadness. He was unhappy, right? This is like always a moral dilemma, or an, a, 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 an interesting moral question. If the bad guys get zapped, should you feel sorry for them? You know, question. I mean, Meitzar Ali Bud Mitzrayim. 
Hainu da'amre inche giora is what we say about gerim. Adasaradare lotivaze armoa ba'ape. For ten generations, you should not embarrass an Aramean to his face, right? To say that you came from non Jewish, non Jewish stock. So that, again, this, there is this idea that, that this, um, uh, that Yitro, Yitro was a, like a split personality, according to Rashi. Because when Rashi says Pshat and Medrash here, I don't think it means that you're supposed to pick the interpretation that you like, since the two interpretations are contradictory. How could you pick one over the other? So, and if you think that the pshat is the obvious interpretation, then why would Rashi add the non-pshat to his, to his uh, presentation? So I think, I think that what Rashi means, in this case certainly, and probably in most cases, is that both interpretations are correct. And in, in modernity, that's easy enough for us to talk about people having two kinds of emotions at the same time, two kinds of feelings. That's rather kind of um, uh, regular. It's regular. I mean, there aren't any kind of uh, black and white people anymore. They've disappeared. Everybody is complex. So, uh, uh, so Yitro, Yitro, he, he understood what had happened. And he had sympathy theologically with Yitziat Mitzrayim, etc. But he still felt that there was a heavy price that was extracted on the lives of the Egyptians. That's what, that's what Rashi, that's what Rashi says. So what's left in the Pasuk, which Rashi doesn't explain in the Pasuk, that, uh, uh, just one second, Vayichad <coughs> Yisro. The Pasuk could have said, Vayichad Yisro. Enough on what he heard from, from Moshe. What is Al-Kol HaTova? What is Al-Kol HaTova? What is all the goodness? So you can say, okay, the goodness is Yitzhak Mitzrayim and, and, and uh, Kriyat Yamsuf, and uh, you, know, you could say that, but why put in those words, Al-Kol HaTova? So there is this interesting interpretation by Rav Nachman. If you turn over the page, the Kutei Maran Tinyana, the last, last source on the page, Tinyana, Torah Lamedalet. You see that? So Rav Nachman says this. Well, we'll read the words. Right? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about Vayichad Yitro. He's talking about Al-Kol HaTova. What do those words mean? We say, what do you mean Al-Kol HaTova? Why do you have to say it? Why does it have to be in the, in the Pasuk? Ki Eitzel Stam B'nei Adam. Listen to this. You see like Rav Nachman. What do you think he did all the time? You're like he was sitting and learning Torah. He was fighting with the people who were against Hasidut. He was trying to promote himself. He was doing all those kind of things. Now listen to, to his insight. He says, Eitzel Stam B'nei Adam. When you're talking about regular people, it's a person, you can't just be joyous about the totality of a situation. Because simcha applies to a variety of things that exist in the world. I'll give you an example. Okay, fairly common occurrence. 
when you come when you come to a wedding, you come to a wedding. Some people really love the food. I don't know people like that. But there are people like that apparently. Dagim Ubasar Vichayotse, you eat fish and you eat meat, and it's great, you know, it's a real a real meal. Vyeshechad is another person. Shesameach min haklizema. He loves the music. He says that it's really, really terrific. Look at the band, right? The band today, bands have names, and, and, and you could talk about them to your friends. I heard this and I heard that. You could really be happy about the band. Some people are happy about other things. Look at the kala, look at the chatan, look at how they look, how happy they look, how well dressed they are. There are people who just are happy because there is a wedding, right? They don't say because of the music or because of the food, they're just a wedding. They're like the, the principles, you know, the parents of the chatan and the parents of the Kala, all they can think about is at the end of the evening, somebody's going to ask them to write a check. So, so they don't like think too much about the food, or think too much about the music, or the flowers. What is that thing they say? Uh, flop, flop. Yes, flop. Well, thank you. <laughs> so that they do that here in Israel also. You don't think something we thought we could get away with, but no, it's like you know, it exists. He says, you can't find a person in the world who's going to be happy about all the things that you could be happy about together. I mean, the guy who's happy about the food, so he keeps thinking about food. And the one who's happy about the music thinks he can, he's, he's happy about the music, but it's very hard to find somebody who's happy about the food, about the about the, uh, the the chatuna, about the music, and the fact that he has to pay. Right? It's very hard to find that person. Even if a person comes along and says, "I like the food." I like the music, I like the chatan and the kala, and I like to pay. Right? Even a person says that, that doesn't mean that he likes them all simultaneously. He sort of likes them in series, right? One after the other. Sometimes this, sometimes that, right? That's, that's what he's doing. Rakmi kol echad bifnei atzmo, on the fifth line. The fifth line, like a third of the way in. Rakmi kol echad bifnei atzmo bazeh. It's really sort of like he likes each one of them, but not simultaneously. For five minutes he likes the music, and then he likes the, you know, then he likes the, the food, and then he likes the people, and then he likes the, the, the hall, and you know, whatever people talk about, they say like. There's also one person, There's always one person, at least who doesn't have any joy at all from what is going on 
lo min achila v'shtiya, not from eating and drinking, and lo misha'ar dvarim, v'adraba, adraba, yesh lo kina v'tsar, he's jealous, he's unhappy, shemekane ala shiduch, he says, oh, there was a great shidduch, a rich guy, got away, would have had money forever, uh, so he's unhappy. He's unhappy that he lost this great financial opportunity. Al that this guy married that girl instead of marrying my son or my daughter. Right? That's that's so he's unhappy. Doesn't matter. You could bring the uh, Philharmonic into play. Havanagila. Uh, it wouldn't make any difference. Aval shleimut v'gadlut asimchahu. On the other hand, there is something which he, Rav Nachman, calls Shleimut v'gadlut ha-simcha. The Shleimut is the perfection of it, and Gadlut is the greatness of it, right? Simcha is also greatness. The Torah says that you have to perform all the mitzvot b'simcha, which doesn't mean that you're supposed to giggle when you do a mitzvah, but somehow Simcha is a quality that affects action. Whatever you do, you could do it b'simcha, whatever you do. And so there's a special obligation that the Torah gives us to do uh, mitzvot uh, b'simcha, right? And mishe zochel l'smoch betol atovot biyachad. This is the person who merits joy, uh, all the good things at one time. And this can only happen to the person who sees tova, goodness, simcha, coming from above. In, in, in other words, really what, he, what Rav Nachman is saying is that you, know, you always have this problem. You have disjointed simcha. You have Simcha A and Simcha B and Simcha C and, and it takes an effort. It takes some sort of creative process in order to kind of tie these various moments of joys together, moments of joy together into one greater form of Simcha. Like not Simcha about a thing or an event or a part of something, but to generalize the simcha somehow, you have to be able to look beyond the goodness of the food, of the music, of the chatan and kala, and go to where this goodness comes from, right? Shoresh, root. It's as if you could somehow feel that it all comes from some root element, uh, then of course it's all echad. You've, you've overcome the nature of things which is to split the joy into the joy of A and the joy of B and the joy of C, and you've gotten to the point where there is only joy. There is only joy, not joy about something, but the source of joy. It all comes from there. Vaz, simchato mikola tovot biyachad. 
and then he somehow is able to get all the joy coming together. And then there's very great Simcha Meira. So you know that Chasidut, these are kind of standard phrases, Meira, to give light, in other words, you get into a better situation. Because even the Simcha of a wedding, as long as it is distinct, you know, food, music, Mechutanim, uh, uh, etc., as long as it's distinctive, it's not the religious experience that you want. It's not what you really want. What you really want is this. As the, as the various simchot kind of coalesce into each other, into one greater, into one greater whole, uh, then nigdal biyoter or to the light of the general simcha, of the universal simcha, of the ultimate simcha, gets brighter and brighter and more a part of you. I'm five lines from the bottom. Five lines from the bottom, the middle of the, of the, of the line. Okay, I don't know exactly what that means, but you know what that means. You know, everybody knows. That, you know, things, it's like getting drunk. You're getting drunk. One of the features of drunkenness is that you don't distinguish things so well. Oh, who are you? Like, you know, everybody becomes a sort of a blur. Everybody blurs together. That's what happens when you're drunk. I think, not remembering so well myself, but uh, that, 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 uh, drugs, that's what, that's what happens when you, take, um, when you take these hallucinatory drugs, you get things kind of coalesce into each other, which is why it's dangerous to do it on the rooftop because you can't tell where the roof ends and the ground begins. So. <laughs> You know, people fall off of roofs for that reason. So it's very good to do it in a cellar. So he says, Four lines on the bottom. So in other words, as with all things, Rav Nachman says that Simcha, which is sort of like a natural reaction to something, to whatever is going on. That's the Simcha he's talking about, the Simcha of the of the music, of the food. He's not talking about generating Simcha, but he says once the Simcha is there, for whatever reason it is, it can, you can shoot for the higher level of Simcha. The higher level of Simcha meaning the Simcha, which coalesces into the Simcha of above, the, the, the notion that there is Simcha that is uh, of a more ultimate kind. Of, a, of an action. Alright? So, Al Yedei Hitnot Tzitzut Shemitnot Tzitz Bisimcha Lechaverta. The Kol Mishi Yesh Yoter Smachot Shekol Elim Biyachad Nitosef Biyoter Biyoter Orha Nitotzot. So, the more simple you have, the more kind of divisive little simples you have in your life at the moment, the more likely it is that they're going to coalesce, that you'll get drunk on Simcha that you won't be able to distinguish between them, that it'll all be part of some greater notion 
Rather, no should have simcha. Val came. Shenichlal asimcha shel kol hatovot biyachad. Azai or asimcha gadol meod al yedei ribui no tzitzot mizeh. He's repeating himself with mizeh lezeker now. Vizehu. Now you see, I'm three lines from the bottom. The last five words on the line. The three lines, including the shorter line. One, two, three. Five words from the end of the line. The word is zehu. Vizehu, and what I've just explained to you now. Vayichad Yitro al-kol ha And Yitro was happy about kol ha Right, it's already, it's a different, it means something else once you go through this, this Rav Nachman. So what does he say? Shayat sameach mikol hatovot biyachat. His simcha was not just, I'm happy that it's happening, or some kind of, I feel good about it. But the simcha was the simcha where the, all of the goodness that happened, each one of which is, Produces simcha. Everything happened in Mitzrayim. Everything happened in Yamsuf. And everything with Amalek. Somehow it was, it was shayasamech bekol atovot biyachad vizehu, and that's why the pasuk adds these words. Which words? Al kol hatova. Because Yitro had this opportunity to look up into heaven. Al kol hatova. Hainu ala shoresh, he was able to get the root to the root of simcha, shesham hakol echad there. All the joy is, uh, reactions are all one. Vishom nichlalin kol hasmachot beyachad. And there at the shoresh, at the root, all of the smachot come together and they are as one. So another thing, so what did, what did Yitro, what Moshe taught Yitro was, Yitziat Mitzrayim. What Yitro taught Moshe, according to Rav Nachman, was Vayichad Yitro. That there is this idea that, that Simcha, although naturally divisible, can ultimately become alcohol atova. That's what that's what Raji says. That's the simple pshat that we see in this pasuk. That's that's Yidro. and this is part of the first story of Yidro. Now, if you go, <laughs> he, he's saying is the verb liachet. Liachet. Ah, could be echad instead of chet dalit vav. It's alef chet dalit. Could be. Because you know, you know, there was this discussion amongst uh, Jewish grammarians about whether there are uh, biliteral roots. Like we usually try to claim that there are only triliteral roots in Hebrew, because that was the, what they did in Arabic. And and uh, the Jewish, what Jews call grammar, is mostly what they learned from Arabic grammarians. And the Arabic grammarians were big fans of the Quran. And they thought that the Quran, the Arabic of the Quran, was the perfect language. And so they were interested in, in uh, analyzing it, in taking it apart, and putting it together. And so they, uh, they created a Semitic grammar. I mean, the Greeks had a different notion of grammar. 
but the Arabs had a, had uh, developed this idea of Semitic grammar, and for the Jews there remained the Machloket. If you look in the Machberet Menachem that uh, that uh, Rashi quotes very often, Menachem ben Saruk, right? Menachem. It's a street here in Rukhamir. And so it's good to it's important to know what the street, otherwise it has no educational value. You call it you call it first street, second street, third street. But if you call it Menachem ben Saruk Street, you should know who he is. Uh, so Menachem Mezu was a grammarian and he wrote a book called which he called the Paradigmachberet, which we say is like a notebook. And in Others call it Barchberet Menachem, right? Sort of like. So he sometimes quotes, uh, usually he thinks that they're three letter roots, but sometimes there are two letter roots. They're also in, uh, in Hebrew reduplicated two letter roots, which are like four letter roots. Like birds, birds, Tziftzefu, right? Tziftzef is like a four-letter root, even though it's tzif twice. Gal gal, gal gal is is a, a ball, right? So that's the same two letters over again. So that's a phenomenon that exists here and there in Hebrew. But you're right. Uh, Avram said that you could look at that word vayichad as coming from the root of Aleph, Chet, Dalet, Echad. And that would sort of comply with Rav Nachman's idea that there's an Echad beyond division. But that's, that's not Rav Nachman's idea, but his application of the idea to this particular puzzle, I think, is his idea. Right? In other words, the idea that everything comes from oneness is not... Uh, is, everything goes to one. That's not Rav Nachman. That's... It's very similar to how a person feels about his wife. What? It's very, no, it's very interesting because she's a great cook, she's good looking, she makes happy. You think of her all as one. Who's that? Your wife. Or no. my wife. <laughs> I hope your wife. It's my wife. You have all these individual things, but you don't think of it that way. You think of just one, one big joy. Well, okay. Okay, I get it. Well, it's hard to express it otherwise. You know, unless you're in one of those romantic movies where it seems to be very easy. Yeah. In any event, if you look here, Pasuk Yud Gimel, I want to tell you what else, something else about Yitro. The Pasuk says, Pasuk Yud Gimel Zabayibimokharat, the next day, after they have these conversations about theological matters and what's really going on. Vayhimi Mocharat, on the next day, Vayeshin Moshe Lishmotet Ha'am, Vayamod Ha'am HaMoshe, Minaboker HaDa'arev, that Moshe Rabbeinu was also the chief justice of the Jewish people. Everybody had access to Moshe Rabbeinu, and he would sit and judge from the morning to the evening. Now they would come to him with complaints, two people, uh, litigants, they want to litigate something. Some people came to Moshe Rabbeinu with Shilas, and then what should we do about this, what should we do about that, and that, that's what he did. Pasuk Yud Dalit, Vayachotein Moshe, Kol Hashem Hu Osela Am Vayomer, Madamazer Shadol says, Oh Yitro, what's going on here? What are you like? Just going to work your whole life? Madu Shem Levadecha, why are you sitting in this court alone? Vichol Abitzav Alechem in Ebogad Arab, and everybody is like online. There's this tremendous line to see Moshe Rabbeinu, it'll never end. Vayomer Moshe Lechot, no. 
So Moshe Rabbeinu, people say that, that, that Yitro gave Moshe Rabbeinu an idea that he should divide up the, the, the judgeship amongst other people. There should be other judges in Yisrael. So that's ridiculous. Moshe Rabbeinu knew that. He knew that if he had another judge sitting next to him, they would be fit, they'd be able to split the work. And if he had ten other judges, he would be able to work a tenth of what he worked. And to spend the rest of the time on the beach swimming. <laughs> right? So, so what was it that Yitro, that's a question, like, what did Yitro say to Moshe Rabbeinu? What did Moshe Rabbeinu say to Yitro? So it says in the Pasuk what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Right? It says in the, in the Pasuk, uh, one second, it says it in the Pasuk, Vayobe Moshe Lechotno, Pasuk Tedvav, Ki Yavo Elai Ha'am Nedrosh Elokim that they're coming to me to find out what God has to say about what they are litigating. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, so I can't, well, who can I get in my place? I, there isn't anybody else. That's Moshe Rabbeinu's problem. Moshe Rabbeinu said the people want to hear God's word. And the only one who knows what that might be is me. And therefore, I can't give it away to anybody else. Nobody's going to go online to those guys. Why would you go online to litigate your, 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 your questions to somebody who doesn't have the ultimate authority? That's Moshe Rabbeinu. So if you look again at the next Pasuk, Pasuk Tetzayin, Ki yelahem davar ba'elai b'shafatati ben ishu ben re'eyu v'odati et chukei halukim v'etorotav. Again, they come to me, and I, what do I tell them? I tell them the psak from heaven. I mean, I, if I have a problem, I look up and I say, what do I do? And HaKadosh Baruch tells me. So why would anybody want to switch? Why would somebody want to go to a lower court? I mean, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't, I, mean, I mean, the lower court can never produce that kind of result. So then he says, Pasuk Yedro is not impressed. That's the question. Why isn't Yitro? Yitro just found out about Yitziat Mitzrayim, about heaven and about Simcha and about, I mean, he's a very spiritual person. Why is he, Yitro, not impressed by the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu wants the Psak to be divine? He wants the Psak to come from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So what is he saying? What is he, what does he say? This is, you know, I'm your, I'm your agent. This is no way to act. Let's do it differently. Why? Then he goes on, he says, Navolti Bol. He uses this very interesting kind of metaphor. You will dry on the vine. Your, your, the fruits will just dry and drop off. There'll be nothing, there'll be nothing left. Gamata Gamha you and the nation. It's too much for you. You won't be able uh, to do it. Listen to me, me Yitro, who I just found out about heaven and God and Siat Mitzrayim, all from you, but listen to me on this matter. I will give you advice. What is he talking about, Yitro? Most of it is that if I do what you say, then they won't have direct access to God. 
And then Yitro uh, says, no, no, do what I say and you, they'll have direct access to God. What, what is it the conversation about? The conversation about the Domar Pashut. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm the only one who can give them what they really want. And therefore I'm going to give it to them. I'm the leader, I'm designated, I'm not going to restrict my responsibility about the work all day and all night. It won't work. What does Yitro say? It just says, even if you work all day and all night, it's still not going to work. Why won't it work? Because you're going to die, Moshe Rabbeinu. And when you die, they won't be Moshe Rabbeinu. So when you die, the whole, the whole story of Am Yisrael will be gone because there will be no one who is trusted to ask a Shaila of. And so Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu, what you have to do is appoint judges, not because you're going to die on the vine here, or because you'll be exhausted and unable to function. That's not why. The reason is that you have to teach the people that they have to have confidences, confidence in the judges at the time. And that's the only way that Am Yisrael will continue to exist. That was the argument between Moshe Rabbeinu and Yitro. When Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm, I'm the only one who can give them what they want. So Yitro said, you're right. You are the only one who can give them what they want. You have to teach them that even after you're gone, they could get something. And that's what the Pasuk says. You see what the Pasuk says? Um, yeah. He says, you'll wither away. You will die. The nation will die. You can't do it. Why? Because you're going to die. It, the, the, this period of time will come to an end, and then there'll be nobody. Nobody to judge, no one to pask in the shaila. No one will be believed that you see we have that capacity. We have even today capacity. It's a joke. It's a joke, but every Jewish community, every Jewish group, you know, wearing a special Jewish kind of clothes, they have a rabbi. And it doesn't matter to them what the other rabbi says. It only matters to what their rabbi says. And that's a good thing. <coughs> that's a good thing, at least in terms of being able to to move on. I mean, that's the whole problem. When you, when you have a Shiloh, when you have a Shiloh, you're kind of stuck. You can't do anything. You need somebody who can tell you, somebody who you have faith in. So we always had found a way to create people in whom others had faith. Right? What do you mean faith? I mean, the, most of the halakha questions are, are, are unclear. They're doubtful. You have to be tricky. You have to be tricky to solve the problem. You have to be clever. But clever, you know, is like a, a limited function. There's always somebody else who might be cleverer. But, but we are able to accept that as part of our reality. That there are different postkim and different opinions and you have to just decide whose opinion you're going to uh, kind of run with. And you do that. Everybody does that. Does Moshe need his father-in-law to point that out? Because A... He was chosen to lead the people and to transform them into an independent entity. Even right. before this, 
he was already accompanied by Aaron, and he already did the Zakenim, which means he was already ready to give up some of his power to them already. So why would he need his father-in-law to point this out when he's already going along with the process as it is? I don't know. I don't know. But if we ask the question at the beginning of this uh, shear, how come the parish is called Yitra? If you accept my interpretation, if you do, we have an answer. It's called Yitro because Yitro saved the Torah for Am Yisrael. It's true that Moshe Rabbeinu brought the Torah into the world. But Moshe Rabbeinu created an untenable situation. He created it. It's not a question of knowing or not knowing. It was true that as long as Moshe Rabbeinu was around, he would give you the ultimate interpretation. He could give you the, like, nobody would ever question it. And that situation could not be repeated. And there was a sort of brinksmanship that, that Yitro uh, uh, understood. He understood that Moshe Rabbeinu, for all his good intention, and for his desire to do the best for the people, might be leading them down a path that could never be... Uh, uh, justified. And that path would be a path in which there would be no Moshe Rabbeinu and nobody else who could take his place. So Yitro basically said, you have to make sure that the people understand that there are other poskim, there are other people who can answer the question, there are other people who can do it, and that and, and that's why the parish is called Yitro. Because Yitro saved the Torah. But if Moshe Rabbeinu had not done that, the Torah would have been uh, untenable. There'll be no way to answer a question. There's no way to understand what the Torah really wants of us. So the parish is correctly dubbed Yitro. Okay, have a good Shabbos.